What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. And it's a very, very good evening from me, Wayne Turner. The program's called Talk at Six with Wayne Turner, and I'll be taking you through to the quarter to seven this evening. The way the show works is that we have regular guests. We have guest experts. We have guests from the community. And we just try and bring information to our listeners about a variety of subjects from finance to education to medical to community, just to keep people informed. Uh, the fourth Monday of the month means it's our medical slot. And in studio this evening, I have a long-term friend of Radio CCFM. I think it's almost 20 years, maybe even past 20. I think it's past 20 years you've been our radio <laughs> doctor. And that's Dr. Charles Shule. Thank Very you, warm Wayne. welcome this evening. Very nice to be here, Wayne. Charles, uh, firstly, uh, tell us, uh, Christmas is now over, but uh, tell us, how's it been going in the life of the Shule family? I know you, you lost your mom recently, which is mm. we're going to talk about in the program around grief and elder care. That's right. Well, you know, of course, um, we wish, we hope everyone's had a wonderful Christmas and it is a time of uh, families uh, drawing together and also rifts in the family be, being magnified and and those who've died this year and maybe other years are, are keenly felt at this time it's a time of sensitivity and i think also the presence of god is very strongly felt right and well, has been strongly felt yeah so uh you're of course a a grandfather who has grandchildren all around the world. So Christmas time is especially poignant mm. connecting with kids over Zoom and you become an expert now with COVID, <laughs> haven't you? Well, I have a friend, Dave Peter, who's so good about keeping us abreast with technology and making sure that we've got a computer that works and and it's up to date and, uh, and so forth. Yeah. Um, yeah, you said something interesting to me before the show, and that is that you read to your grandchildren over Zoom. Yes, this this started um, this this reading together started when they visited us from Germany, and um, you know you realise you can't really have a conversation with a grandchild for very long. You know they just can't especially if they're German or American. So I thought, well, why don't I continue the habit of reading? Mm. And so with my good friend, Wayne Turner, who's also selling uh, re repurposed books, etc., I found an old classical called Swiss Family Robinson. And what a joy to relive it for myself, but also to read it to my older grandson. And it has so many practical things in it. And, mm. uh, and you know, I'm quite happy for him to move 
away little Joshua and say, oh, you know, I've got something to do, Granddad. But no, he says, can I read another chapter and another one? Oh, wow. So I'm just building on that. And I recommend it to all my grandfathers out there is if you have the time and if you have a connection with your grandsons or daughters, find them a book that you can read to them. And the nice thing is, and what you're saying, and take this tip to heart, guys, if you're listening now, take note. If you have grandchildren overseas and you want to connect, this is the perfect way to keep connected. Mm. Read them stories. And then you could also bring in your own story alongside. You know, you know oh, the Swiss family, look, they built that, that lovely house in the trees. Um, and you can say, yeah, and like what we also built a little tree house. I you know? did. I built a tree house yeah. when I was a kid. So yeah. you you bring in your own story, and the children love that. You know, mm. they, they 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 they, and then you find that they actually put it into practice in their own little little lives. And of course, you're a radio personality, so of course you can do the Zoom thing and read the stories. <laughs> maybe maybe we yeah. need to get a hold of you and do a little uh, insert. <laughs> right, Charles. Well, that's a a, a lovely yeah. way to start the program. Uh, especially one that is uh, looking at perhaps a bit of sadness. Uh, I, I, this week was the anniversary of my mom's death three years ago, so it was especially emotional on Monday. Mm. And then I lost a friend to suicide three months ago. Yeah. And today I got a picture of his memorial bench. So there, there are often these uh, memories or even very current traumas that people are going through especially with COVID and so many people having lost uh, friends and family members this process we're going through is quite a time it can be very traumatic mm. so let, let's kick off with uh, chatting around how how we start how we deal with loss mm. uh, you, you lost your mom uh, two three weeks ago uh, after nursing her for quite a long time uh, how have you processed or or, or started processing uh, grief? That's that's a very good question. I think there's there there the, the, the theoretical models. You know that the the whole area of death and dying was researched by a woman called Dr. Elizabeth Kubler Ross. Mm. So her teachings and gave. Um, gave life to all the hospice movement around mm. the world, uh, which started in the early 70s. So um, the classical phases are what you call denial, mm -hmm. then anger, then bargaining, then depression, mm -hmm. and then a little bit of acceptance, and then comes hope. Right Now, they've been now much more detail and research has gone into it. In fact, if you go onto the internet and you probably Google it, you'll find that that simple framework has been put into so much detail that you can't even see where you are. Mm. <laughs> but essentially, people go through phases and they go in and out. So one day you might feel, mm, you know, like my mother's still in the room downstairs, you know, I can mm. hear her cough or something, and then you realize she's not there. So that that doesn't quite fit into the, the, the schema. But there's a little bit, or you might say, you know, oh, I wonder whether I should have put up a drip at the end, or I wonder if I should have done this or that. I, I was thinking, you know, when I came in, my mom was fitting from a stroke on the on her bedroom floor, and uh, I mean, I worked ambulances, I've been in emergency services, mm -hmm. and I kicked into action, 
And you second guess yourself, I wonder if I had done this, would it have got it in time for stroke medicine? Or you, you second guess yourself, mm. you think, but really it's just the, the, the brain working through a process. That's right. And um, so that is called bargaining. When you say, if I had done this, would it have changed that? Or it's a pre- precursor to the coming into the depression where mm. you feel completely exhausted and sad and empty and maybe can't face another dying person quite yet absolutely <laughs> because you need you need to sort of process that one person you've loved so much mm. before you can deal with another and often people who sadly lose both parents quite quickly or both grandparents can have and a that's, complicated that's grief process uh, often during covid mm. two Very elderly much. parents two elderly grandparents go together and then, of course, that grief then can become an illness, which we call depression, but actually it's just a state of mind where you you can't feel, you feel numb and you mm. feel empty and you feel unmotivated and nothing, you can't enjoy anything and you feel anxious all the time. So that Because is co- grief should, should be, hel- it is healthy grief. And yes. If you follow a, pro- a process and you don't get stuck on any one point for mm. too long. I mean, you need to work through a process. That's right. And and a lot of people heal when they sit down and they just weep and mm. they hold hands and give thanks for the person's life. But yet the weeping, you know, those who sow in tears will reap in joy. There's mm. a sort of a healing process that comes. And, yeah, um, you know, as Christians, I mean, we, we don't grieve as the unbeliever grieves, but it's still... You know, there's, there's a verse that says, death, where is your sting? Yeah. And I say, I know where the sting of death is. I'm feeling it. But I understand the principle. That it's no longer an eternal thing. and We no longer die. But death, it's, it's, it can be really, really painful yeah. at times. There's ca- that, like a tsunami wave just hits you from nowhere and yeah. uh, you start to grieve. That's right. So it, it's not something that you just get done. Mm. You know, it's, it's a recurring thing. Um, but you learn to apply it to empathy towards other people who you could recognize it in others. Mm. They're going through it behind mm. their dark glasses or behind their cup of coffee. You can perceive that they're going through a grieving process and and you discover little things to help them, like give them a little another cup or another cup of tea. We're going to write a book for my mother called Another Cup of Tea, dear, because she was so empathic that that um that that summed up her way of counseling us that you know among the many things she'd say i'll have another cup of tea with tears you know in her eyes um my dad used to say something similarly he used to you know when there was conflict he said let's have a cup of tea yeah you know so take your mind off it just and and you stop the stop the the conflict that's it so um it's like a pause in the grieving process mm. have a cup of tea you know to have a little laugh at and so forth um so yes yeah, so grief can be very sweet and um it's different for different members of the family and ones mm. who from far away can experience it very differently and very deeply because they aren't they didn't have last goodbyes they they didn't uh, maybe over a zoom call but still not being there can be quite I, I remember my grandfather dying and I was in New Zealand uh, training with youth of the mission mm. and I in those days I only got the letter three weeks after he had died so he's been dead for three weeks when I found out mm. and it's quite different grieving overseas yes yes so i mean we've already spoken on 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 another program about the feeling of 
worlds, uh, uh, oceans apart. The, the, mm. the term was coined by a, a Methodist minister. I think he's in Fishhook now. <laughs> I read his book. It was so applicable to me, the pain of losing your children to going overseas. Mm. And at first, they're just on a, on a trip. But you again also go through a grieving process. Mm. And they go through a grieving process where they are. It's not, yeah. it's not like you. It's them too. Because you grieve many things. You <laughs> grieve the loss of a job. You grieve the loss of... of uh, uh, status, yeah. you, you grieve the loss. There's many things you, that you go through a grieving That's process. That's right. But uh, just a question um, on on how you feel about it. I mean, I know personally, but grief is a very lonely journey because I call it a honeymoon period where everyone is concerned for you and they know you've lost someone. Then they gradually forget about it, but mm. the grief journey goes on for years and no one really understands. For me, like my mom, very very lonely it, it, it's not the same for Renee or mm. her grandchildren but for mm. me one of the most significant people in my life it is so that's there right. is that you find very lonely in the in the actual grieving because no one else is doing it that's right um, I think that's where where poetry could be so beautiful and helpful and a book to read which touches on on the grief of, a, of, of loving someone very deeply um, and, and, you know, we know that Jesus was a man of grief and sorrow. And even Lazarus, who he knew he was going to raise, wept when he heard that he had died. Mm. So although we know that death is part of life, we fight against it. Mm. Um, in some strange way, it, we, we, our whole world is, is geared around rescuing people mm. from death from the ch- or child at the beach or from your child, you know. So even though, even in the palliative care guidelines for old people, they say, um, they say officially, um, uh, I'm just going to sort of see what how, how it's worded. It's part of the definition of, of palliative care. And I, I read it in preparation for today, but it says something like this, um, uh, it, it essentially says that that we see death and dying as part of 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 life, um, and uh, and it's quite sort of it's yeah we affirm life. This is what it says. We affirm life and regard dying as a normal process. Mm. Now it all sounds easy when you say it like that. But if you're watching somebody gasping for breath and you dehydrated and and convulsing, it could be their death process, but it might not be. It might mm. just be they've got a infection, or, or in my mum's case, she had oral thrush, so she couldn't swallow. So I gave her some treatment for that. Fortunately, being a doctor, I could be on the spot, so to speak. But uh, that made her very comfortable. Mm. Uh, with the swallowing but if I hadn't seen that oral thrush I would have just assumed that her not eating or drinking was a terminal state like part, part of, of the, the dying, process. dying process but actually something in me said but look again like don't just sit back and do nothing she is dying mm. but it's that it's not that's not her dying moment on that day she died a few days later, but there's a lot to be done in those last weeks of a person's life. That's why palliative care is so important. Because Very it's important. During that dying process. I remember, I mean, you attended to my dad uh, when when he passed away. Uh, and I remember one of the hospice sisters saying, well, I think it's close. 
But we as family members, you still, maybe it's denial. Mm. You, you're still not believing that it's actually going to happen. But yes. the professional who sees the process knows it's going to happen. A, and it, it's, we, we think, well, let's just keep on putting water on his lips because, you know, you don't think that's part of the dying process just to keep mm. a, the palliative care. And then it comes so, so suddenly. Mm. But that process of, of continuing to look after the person the best you can right up to a death point, point is so important. Yes. And I think it's important to for families to know that they're not prolonging the suffering or prolonging the life of that person maybe a day or two at the most. But there is a lot of anxiety around RP, are you clinging to that loved one and mm. holding them back or are you actually enabling them to die and of course ethically they say we you know palliative guidelines say we we intend neither to hasten nor postpone death right now desmond tutu is a big spokesman on euthanasia um and that's another subject for another day mm. but good dying euthanasia means a good death, death. and uh Passive euthanasia means just letting that good death sort of take its course, whereas active euthanasia is actually an intervention intervention to hasten the death. Right. So that's where I am not comfortable, I have to say. Right. Because, you, you, I mean, passive euthanasia, is the person's dying, let's just starve them and, and let them die quicker. I mean, some people actually do that. That's right. So, um, And that's not palliative care. You need to give them whatever they're able to receive mm. right up into that point. One can get quite a lot of differences in family members, what their perception of palliative care is. Um, and, you know, you're trying to do the, look at the outer aspects of the body of the person, their comfort, their, whether they've got bed sores or they've got fungus under, you know, n nail or coughing or hydration. There's so many aspects to the care. And many people can't verbalize their own needs. You know, an old person with dementia can't say, I'm thirsty. Mm. They can't say, I need to, you know, I'm in pain even. They can't even verbalize that. So, th this and the person with them may be culturally unable to also interpret th their, their, the person's needs. Mm. Um, we have got a challenge in this country where the, the carers are often have a lot of common sense and they are very wonderful people. However, their level of scientific knowledge is 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 not possible. Mm, you know, mm. they, they just do not have nursing training. Right. So That's why it's on caring, not... Yeah. Uh, so you can't say, oh, check the pulse, check the blood pressure. So the obviously the advantage of someone being in a healthcare centre, like I won't mention names, but most healthcare centres have a nursing person who could check the urine, check the blood pressure, mm. check the vitals. So a doctor has the advantage of working through a sister and saying, okay, I need to do a home visit, but please have all the basic vitals for me. Mm, mm. But if you haven't got that, or you've got a situation where the nursing personnel is only an administrative role, um, then you do need to have more GP involvement. Yeah, because palliative care, we, we hear of it, many people don't even know what it is. I mean, palliative care is caring for the person when they are dying and providing the best. Uh, do, you have a, do you have a clear definition there? Yes, well, it actually extends into chronic 
illness. You mm-hmm. know, look, most people have some kind of chronic illness. So palliative care begins. It's 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 basically by the World Health Organization. They say it's an approach that improves the quality of life of patients and their families facing problems associated with life-threatening illness, which right. covers a multitude of things. I mean, hypertension, diabetes, HIV, it's all sort of potentially life-threatening. Through the prevention and relief of suffering, the early identification and impeccable assessment and treatment of pain and other problems, physical, psychosocial, and spiritual. So it's it's vitally important if you're a, a, a family or a family member that has someone who is now terminal and I mean they have palliative care in the form of a a carer but not there all the time. Very important that the family uh, informs and educates themselves what do I do when I have a family member who's dying? That's right. The the very basics like you said Mm. pulse looking for hydration and and a variety of other aspects. And a great asset has been with a COVID is getting this pulse oximeter because it, it's useful in um, telling, it's easy for a family member to do on their loved one, and it will give you the pulse rate, and it will give you the oxygen in the tissues. Right. And that will tell your GP remotely how your loved one is. So, I mean, that's, the, uh, my daughter had one when she had COVID, and we've got it now. Mm. And we'll just pop it on the finger, and it gives a pulse rate, gives an oxygenation. So when a person is terminal, that's a, that's a good indicator for a doctor or medical professional yes, because it'll pick up whether the pulse is 100 or 70 or 60 so it gives you the gp a little bit of a guideline of how urgently do i need to see that person can i wait till tomorrow or right. today or you know because often with with uh, you, you doctors if you are seeing a patient it's great if you know the end's going to be this morning so you know if you do need to come out uh you're going to have signed death certificates and things like that. So, you know, you'd like to know how far the person is through these indicators. That's right. Um, also, you can verbally talk to the family and explain the bodily sort of transition mm. and reassure them that they're not neglecting anything because many people would feel a lot of guilt if they said, oh, but I didn't mention to the doctor that my mother had a bed sore. Uh, that was smelling a bit bad or you know shouldn't i have said that otherwise because he didn't look you see so not every person lying in a bed is going to be rolled over and looked at every skin mm. mark if you can imagine i mean it it, it 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 a very thorough doctor would do that but it's not practical to someone who's bedridden to to have a look in every nook and cranny mm. you know they could have a vaginal infection to put it crudely or a uh, they could have an impacted bowel, you know. So y- you've got to be quite, as a doctor, you've got to be quite, I haven't got a word for it, but you've got to have quite be quite intuitive about what is the functioning of that person in that bed. Mm. Have they had a bowel movement that day? Ha- who keeps a record? Does someone keep a record? Do they have, a, have they got fecal impaction? Have they got bladder infection? Mm. All these things make a person very uncomfortable. Yeah, I remember my mother because my dad at one occasion had uh, impacted bowel and it was a difficult process for the the hospice sister to physically do something about it. Yeah. It was caused by the, the morphine. Yes. and uh, But my mother was aware of it. So she would uh, uh, keep note when he took the medicine because it 
when you're on morphine, you, you you need to think about those things, when the last bowel movement, etc. And those were really helpful for not only the doctor, but for the mm. the hospice sisters who would come and give them a, a bed, bed bath and, yeah. and, and the like. So all these little factors are so important. And, yeah, and, right. and the, the road I'm trying to get people down is that if, if you do have someone with a long-term illness and is terminal, enlighten, educate, inform yourself, speak to the hospice mm. sister and say, what should I be looking for? How can I help you? And like I said, all these little keeping That's a note right. of things are very, very important. Mm. And it's difficult to also use the word terminal if you haven't got an a, a, a disease like cancer because most illnesses won't necessarily hasten your life. I mean, it's not unusual to hear about a hundred-year-old woman in living in a house in Fishhook, or people talk about, oh gosh, I've got my hundred-and-one-year-old at home, and her carer takes her to the sh- shops. Mm. So that you get these very exceptional people who've lived a very long life, um, and then the next day you hear, oh, but they had a fall, and they have now in Constantinburg Hospital, they've fractured their hip, or something dramatic takes place in this long road towards the end, but you can't call them terminal because terminal implies a disease process like cancer or or, or an untreated mm. condition. But if, if everything's being treated, your blood pressure, your diabetes, your asthma, then you, you're living actually according to your age. Mm. And no one knows when your, your lot of time is going to come to an end. Right, right. So a lot of the, you asked earlier, did you have counseling? Because they say here, palliative care includes the treatment of the family, physical, psychosocial, and spiritual. Now, spiritual is such a vast term. It encompasses so many different things. Mm. Um, are the spiritual needs being met? It's a quite an important question, and you can't ask the person because they're nonverbal. They're not able to communicate. And often they know they're uh, nearing the end, and being aware of their spiritual needs and sitting every uh, uh, morning or evening and just reading from from the Word of God or singing a hymn with them or reciting some poetry that uh, has got a, has got spiritual meaning. All these mm. things will calm the person and just let them know that hey, Jesus is with you and you mm. are going to a better place. Yeah. I have to say, Wayne, that I read my mother the the whole New Testament. Um, during her months with me in my house, uh, our house. Um, but I found it extraordinarily difficult because I just started with Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and read through, but I actually found that a lot of it was, it wasn't sanitized. Like, you know, often people give you a lovely little verse and say all things work to good together. When you actually read the word, a lot of it is very intense and it's about Jesus arguing with the Pharisees. Or, or Romans, that's sin. Yeah, it's sin-orientated. It's, like there's, there's, it's very hectic, actually, I have to say, to read the word in its unsanitized form to a, a bedridden or semi-alert person. So what you're saying is we've got to uh, be aware of what we are reading to the person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for the wages of sin is death. Is not the time to read that verse when a no, person is dying. Exactly. Whereas some of the beautiful uh, passages that Jesus talks about, Paul about heaven and going, yeah. and that. So you almost need 
a separate Bible that is geared to accompanying, let's call it the frail. Not a separate Bible and not not an unbiblical Bible, but something that that's selective mm. um, for a family member to to read. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Again, it's it's informing yourself and chatting chatting to someone who is a grief counselor, a Christian grief counselor. What should I be? What should I be reading? Mm. What should, how should I be handling the spiritual right. process right. of the palliative care? Yeah, we had we had the blessing of, and I'm going to mention his name, Peter Fox, because he he realised we were taking strain, and he mm. came to visit us, did a professional visit, and he sent lots of resources on the emails about grief and anticipatory grief and bereavement that we could select from things that we were relevant to our right. person's situation, and then that paved the way for finding a minister who was from the same, let's say, stream of, of, of Christian, um, in, the, in, the, in the, call it in the church at, as a whole, mm. you've got different facets. So yeah. we found a very lovely lady who was a retired minister in the same type of church as my mother. Yes. So we linked them up for that reason. Um, so it, it, the spiritual side takes great sensitivity and, um, and, and I mean, you, you, you don't want uh, uh, someone who's been brought up in a very conservative church having a, I use this very reservedly, a raving Pentecostal. I mean, I'm, I'm in a charismatic church. <laughs> or someone who's charismatic and now having a, a very staid Anglican person. That's right. It, it's not going to give the encouragement that person needs. And, it's, and it'll probably be stressful to someone who is nonverbal and mm. is is aware of their surroundings. So right. we need to be very, very sensitive in mm. all aspects. That's right. The psychosocial aspect, I think, is critical, especially with the COVID era. And that's one of the reasons why we took my mother out of healthcare was because um, I was disbarred from seeing her uh, under COVID protocol. Right. And, um, and that was mental anguish for me as well as for her because I represent the whole family who are overseas. <laughs> yes, of and course. And so we, and my wife and I made this decision, uh, not w- easily, mind you, to take my mother out and make a home for her under the, and, and have the assistance of the Fishhook Nursing yes. Services. Um, so we, we, we developed a, a wonderful team work with, with, um, with a sister in charge and with carers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I can't say that is a recipe for other people because everyone's resources are different and to have day and night carers is extremely costly. Mm. And um, so as a GP, I see many different extremes. I see people in their homes who are potentially dying and they've got a Malawian who's helping or a Zimbabwean or they've got a... I can't say a person off the street, but I got a very caring person that they've met along the way and said, won't you, they've just been co-opted into this role. Right. Um, so I have to say that care in the home is very, what you call unregulated. It's one area of healthcare where there isn't like an authority that's going to come and check up on you. Mm. You're kind of very much left to your own resources. Um, not everybody has a GP, not everybody has a, minister not everybody has a 
a bereavement counsellor, you know, you just flounder along. It could be a mother and a son or a father and a daughter or or two old people who don't even aren't even married. You know, it yep. can be any combination of people who find each other in a codependent relationship. What you're saying basically is this this whole thing is is very uh complex. Very complex. We we think that it's a it's a it's a simple process. You get sick, you now have got X amount of time, then you die, and then it's over. Mm. But really, there's a whole host of things a- and uh, su- supportive roles from different people. Yeah, and that's where counselling of the family are so important because, for example, you suddenly find that an old lady's moved down from Pretoria to the Cape because the daughter is able to care for her or... Oh the son is taking their loved one out of Cape Town back to Joburg because he's got a system there that can take care of the, the loved one. So now you're uprooting someone from a familiar mm. place into an unfamiliar place. So there's so many things that happen in a person's life where they, you know, we talk about autonomy and all that, but an old person has lost their autonomy. They can't choose anymore. Mm. They might have given power of attorney 10 years ago, but they effectively lose their autonomy. Not entirely, mm. but they can't say, oh, I'd rather live be with daughter A than daughter B, or I'd rather be with my son and not with my daughter, because mm. the daughter now wants to take control and has the right to take control, but the, the emotional attachment of the mother, call it, is with the son. You know? Right. So the, you can't, you can't, we're not living in extended families anymore. Mm. Many are, but many aren't. So there's a lot of suffering just around the psychosocial aspect. You know, uh, someone once said to me, I think it was a medical show, about, I think it was Alzheimer's, that the carer needs is the one who, who does a lot of the suffering because the person with Alzheimer's is not aware of many, many things, and, and it's the, the carer. And I would presume that that's the same for someone caring for someone who needs palliative care yes is that is that that carer if they're not doing it for a job if their family member needs support and an outlet and perhaps time out from caring because it's just going on and on and on that's right there's no end in sight um many carers do go have a system of two weeks on two weeks off or like Fishhook Nursing Services, they 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 have a, a proper roster, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and a debriefing process as well. We think so. We're not sure, but I think a lot of the carers internalise their grief. Mm. And I did notice something which did hurt a, a little bit is that there's an attachment that happens between a carer and a mm. patient. According to the rules, you're not supposed to get too attached. So in terms of privacy, which you've got to respect, you might as a carer suddenly find that the family push you to one side. Now they've brought the minister and they want to have a little prayer. They wanted to have a little session with their loved one. Please leave the room. Please leave the room. Mm. So, And then the carer may well feel deprived of that moment where he or she wanted to be part of the family. They want to be mm. you know, included in decision-making, but they can't be because they've got to respect the boundaries yes. that the family have put in place. Like you're there to feed and wash and clothe, but that's it. Mm. We don't want you to get to know about mothers, this and that and the next thing. 
Mm. So there are tensions between the carer and the, call it the the family. Yeah. Charles, we're coming to the end of the show mm. uh, and people who are in these positions need help. What's the best way to get, get for a person, a family to get help and think in in mm. Situation like that. I know St. Luke's are absolutely brilliant, and they yeah. and I would recommend you con- they contact are gold, absolute gold. Um, there's the Westlake United Churches Trust, they are very, very good, right? And there's, of the, course, Living Hope, Living Hope in Fishhook, yes. Um, there are the ner- official nursing services care. There are a number of organizations that recruit and train carers. You've got St. John's Ambulance that trains carers in Fishhook. Uh, you got Red Cross, so many of these carers on out there who either advertise themselves or work through agencies. I've seen it on 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 f- Facebook. Someone advertising and they've got their caring certificates through a relevant organisation. Yeah. So there are people who are independents as well. That's right. Um, I like the thought of accountability because if you do take on somebody who's very good, you might find they can't come the next week because they've got a domestic crisis to handle. So you do need an accountability system. And there's no replacement. There we are. So I would recommend working through an agency of some kind. I mean, Living Hope and uh, uh, St. Luke's helped with my dad. The Mm. nursing sister would pop in and, you know, Give give them a checkup and also give us advice. That's right. And then Living Hope used to send carers three times a week to help yeah. the bed bath and things like Absolutely. that. So sometimes you need a, a multidisciplinary yes, approach. Right. And the GP, I mean, you would pop in once mm. a week. That's right. You know, so that whole the whole process mm. is uh, eased with the different disciplines. That's right. That's and right. of course, my mom was his primary caregiver, and she refused. Uh, any additional help because she was going to be with them That's to the right. end. So right. there was a lot, a lot of help, help there. Mm. Charles, uh, this has been an amazing show. It's just given so much information, and I mean, I would like to encourage people at this time of year to seek help if they're grieving. Mm. Uh, mm. C- connect with a ch- your church or a friend mm. or an organisation, and if it's yeah. really bad, That's like right. a, a helpline. Gr- they're grief share courses, yeah. right? Yeah. So. Right. But thank you. Thank you, Wayne, for bringing it up. It's a very, it's a very sensitive topic. Yeah, it, it is. And I think people often feel alienated. I mean, mm. as I said, I, I, it's a very lonely journey. Mm. And I think people need to be prepared to humble themselves and reach out and say, look, I'm really struggling. Yeah. And not, I mean, tears, as a, as a tough ex-policeman, I found t- tears are very healing. You need mm. to grieve the person. And That's it's not right. all the time. It, no. You know, you do still grieve, but the, mm. the time in between those mm. uh, grief times sort of gets wider and wider. But That's like right. on an anniversary, and many people yeah. are experiencing anniversaries That's I've right. seen on social media at That's the moment. Right. So, yeah, well, Charles, uh, from us as a team I mean, of... Uh, Talk at six and and Radio CCFM. We we really want to express our sympathies and condolences to you, having lost your mom. It's still very fresh in your mind and a very fresh process. And thank, thank you, you that man. you've been able to, during this time, mm. share your heart and 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 help others as they are experiencing the same thing. So thank you very much. Thank you, Wayne. Right. Well, that brings us to the end of this show. Uh, a really deep one and I, I really trust that you'll take to heart some of the things Charles has shared with us and just uh, allow that process to take its course and work through 
the different steps so that you have a, a healthy grieving healing process after losing a loved one perhaps very very suddenly so from the talk at six team thank you so much for joining us our next show is going to be in the new year it's going to be an educational slot so from us on the talk at six with uh, wayne it's have a blessed new year and hope you had a tremendous christmas Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.